Hello, everybody. And let me tell you this. This isn't the normally scheduled Saturday Scouting Combine podcast. We had that yesterday. But today is a preview between the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins with my co-host, Brandon Lagore. And Brandon, we have uh, a wonderful, special guest here. Well, it's great. You know, it's it's always great to bring in a uh, special guest on 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 our show. You know, um, this individual is able to give his insight on Miami's Week 17 contest against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, we mentioned it on our previous podcast on New Year's Eve. The formula for Miami to clinch their first playoff spot since 2016, or if you really want to get into terms, we 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 can say. Brian Flores wasn't here. That was Adam Dace's rookie season in Miami under, as head coach. But the easiest way for the Dolphins to get in is to simply knock off the Buffalo Bills. So I'm excited to bring alongside this special individual. And let's just talk some, my, some Miami Dolphins football. And Finns Maniacs, I don't know if you got a chance to look at my Twitter account when Tool was announced the starter. But... I got a chance to make a meme using the DK Metcalf and Buda Baker meme template saying that the Bills recovered the fumble and that they might win the AFC East, when in reality, I wanted Tua and the Dolphins to win the AFC East. Unfortunately, this meme blew up in my face. And right now, I have here Drew Greer from Rock Pal Report, who reports on the Buffalo Bills, laughing in my face right now. Drew, how are you doing, my man? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You guys, uh, you, you've referred to me as a special guest. Um, I'll tell you exactly how special I am. I live in Buffalo, New York, born and bred, and I decided that today would be a good idea to smoke a brisket. And I didn't realize that when you're in the middle of winter in Buffalo, doing anything outside is a terrible idea. But, you know, I went ahead with it anyway, and now I'm six hours into a cook, and I'm doing this podcast with you from my garage. <laughs> And it's just one of those things where my wife's like, are you crazy? I go, no, honey, I'm just, I'm dedicated. That's what I am. I'm dedicated. <laughs> dedicated to your special craft. I like it. And, you know, it's not as hot in Miami as it would be during this uh, beginning of the January. But I would say to measure the heat level down here, you could probably fry an egg on the street in two and a half hours. That's what I would say. Right now, as we're having this conversation, I can see my breath. So, <laughs> <laughs> and hey, you know, speaking that's of all, that's what we're all about up here in Buffalo, right? As you as your as your Miami Dolphins are about to find out. Yeah, yeah. Are we going to be fishicles or are we going to absolutely slap the gills out of the <laughs> Buffalo Bills? Who knows? I mean, the weather, the forecast is going to be cold, like really, really cold. Possibility for snow as well, and that could play a factor in it no definitely i mean it's been cold here and it snowed this morning which just you know it's always a good idea to try to smoke barbecue when it's snowing out you know that's a great idea i don't know what i'm doing out here <laughs> i don't know how how meats up there last in the cold or if they're e even able to thaw out i don't know brendan have you ever like tried to cook something in snow before so a fun a fun fact about me, and I and I tell a lot of people this. I've actually never physically seen snow. Uh, Neither have I. From Pittsburgh, so her entire her entire family has lived in 
you know, the absolute blizzardness during the brutal win- winter months. But, you know, that I always used to say on my on my main bucket list, the number one thing that I, I want to do is whether I attend as a as a future media member or whether I just attend as a simple fan, I want to be able to watch a game up up north, whether it's against Buffalo, New England, and I want to watch a game while it's, you know, 25 degrees and just eight inches of snow, you know, just an absolute snowstorm. And Drew, to allude to your point about that it snowed this morning, do you remember, I want to say it was fall 2017, Indianapolis playing Buffalo, and that was an absolute snow. That that game, I believe the final score was like 10-6 or 10-3. Okay, so just to give you some history on that, I have been a season ticket holder for over a decade. That game was the game that solidified that, you know, my – some people say I take tailgating a little too seriously. I treat it – it's like a sport. It's almost like a religion for me. And, and so that day, it was going to be so ugly, both of the other guys that I have season tickets with actually bailed on the game altogether. They said they, they quit. They wouldn't go. But I knew that we were going to have about 15 to 20 people showing up looking for our tailgate. So by myself, I packed my pickup truck. I drove down to the stadium at 6. I got there about quarter to 7 in the morning. So before the sun's even really up. And in 40-mile-an-hour winds, managed to put up two tents, two grills, get them walled off, get heaters and food going, and fed and kept warm about 35 people over the course of the morning. Wow. And I sat through, and I sat through that whole game, and I, the, the stadium filled, emptied out near the end. And the only reason I didn't go home, my jacket was soaked, my gloves were soaked, I was freezing. But there was this eighty-year-old woman sitting directly behind me with her grandkids, who were probably about my age, and they kept trying to tell her, "Nan, we gotta go. Nan, it's time to leave. It's freezing out here. You're crazy." And she had a blanket wrapped around her, and she was adamant that the Bills were gonna win, and she wasn't leaving. And I'm thinking to myself. If an 80-year-old woman can stick it out to see LaShawn McCoy run in the game-winning touchdown, I, I sure as heck can't leave. Right. <laughs> so I ended up having to gut the whole <laughs> You sure you're not uh, – you sure you're not Buffalo Man uh, up there? <laughs> you sure you're yeah. not Buffalo Man? Because that, that seems to me kind of like a Florida man story, sticking out through a hurricane, just watching the waves on the beach, on the sandbar, while, while drinking a, a pina colada. Florida man gets a tough rap. Florida itself gets a tough rap from some people sometimes. But I'll tell you, we're just as crazy up here in Buffalo, just in, a, just in different ways. <laughs> I know Jason actually has a great, I would say, reading it and listening to it, a great tailgating story for him. Maybe not so much. But listeners, please check out his article about his tailgating experience in Buffalo. It's a must-read. You don't want to miss it either. Uh, Jason's our producer, and uh, he can tell you it was it was not a fun experience. Now, as we flip to the game, the storyline going into this is, oh, my God, Ryan Fitzpatrick is out. The guy who played with the Jets, the guy who played with the Bills, the guy who played with the then St. Louis Rams, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and now with the Miami Dolphins. He's the backup for Tua. And people are saying, oh, my God, this is crazy. I don't think we're going to win this game with Tua in. I mean, are people forgetting that Tua Tungavailoa is actually the starter? I mean, he was named the starter and was only pulled twice because he wasn't finding his groove in that Denver and that Las Vegas game either. And 
I know that Fitz is a tenured veteran. He's seen everything. But Tua's ceiling is much, much higher than Fitzpatrick's. He's gifted and needs more experience. I mean, obviously, yes, Fitz knows more plays. But Tua's talent is much better than Fitz's. And speaking of being out for Fitz, for Buffalo, Cole Beasley is week to week. Um, I don't think he might play. And the Bills are in position to sign Kenny Stills. And they brought in a lot of wide receivers as well for some uh, prep and scouting as well that were hosted. Drew, will Beasley play? Oh, there's. I'll say this. There is no chance Beasley plays in this game. He's actually already been ruled out. And his injury is really concerning because he plays, and I know it's something I'm sure we're going to get into, but he has actually played a huge role in Josh Allen's big step forward that he took this year. You know, a lot of people, you know, they look at the signing of Stephon Diggs and they say, okay, that's what makes, you know, obviously you got him an alpha wide receiver, a legitimate number one, and that's the reason why he's doing so well here in 2020. When in reality, his areas of improvement, yes, throwing the ball down the field, he's gotten better. But it's been in those intermediate areas that he's improved in terms of production and yardage. And Cole Beasley is probably number reason number one with a bullet for that, for that giant step forward. And, you know, when you talk about moving that step forward, uh, you could say the same thing with Tua Tungavailoa. I, I mean, the Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills – their strategy of rebuilding is a is a little bit similar. Brandon, what do you see the key difference would be between the Bills' rebuild and the Dolphins' rebuild? Well, general manager Brandon Bean and, you know, head coach Sean McDermott, they've done a wonderful job. And, you know, to, to touch on, on Drew's point about Josh Allen's, you know, maturation, it's unbelievably incredible because, you know, you talk about the 2018 NFL draft, and everybody was saying, you know, Josh Rosen was, you know, the number one, the number one quarterback coming out of this class. It's definitely going to be Josh Rosen. Well, here, here we are on January 2nd, 2021, and we have the Buffalo Bills sitting in first place, having already clinched the AFC East. They're sitting at 12-3, and three, can possibly clinch a 13-win season. They've already clinched a home playoff game. But the ultimate difference that I see with the with the – I guess you. I guess you can say the trans, the ultimate transition down in Buffalo compared to the uh, to the the Dolphins is Sean McDermott trusts his 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 quarterback one hundred and ten percent. I mean, even you can even go back to that game this past Monday night against the New England Patriots. Did the Buffalo Bills really even punt? I mean, there were plenty of times where it was fourth and short. It was fourth. It was fourth down and, and manageable. And you even saw Josh Allen saying, "No, coach." We're definitely going to be going for this. So you can even tell right then and there, that's something that on the Dolphins side, Tua's going to have to learn. And again, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to sit here for an hour or so and, and have a complete comparison between Tua and, and, and Josh Allen because Josh Allen right now is obviously the better quarterback. But the point is, is that you can see it in his eyes. You can see it within the whole org organization. I honestly think Buffalo found their quarterback. And I think Buffalo found their quarterback for the near future. Well, here's one of the things I'll say. Now, I have the benefit, especially for this kind of conversation, 
I'm an Alabama fan. I have been for about, oh, you got to go back 15 years. I started following the Alabama Crimson Tide before Nick Saban was their head coach. Dolphins fans are going to love hearing this, Drew. I'm sorry to interrupt. They're going to love hearing this. And I take a lot of and I take a lot of flack from people because they call me a bandwagoner. They're like, "Ah, oh, you're from Buffalo. Ah, oh, you can't root for the." And, and I'll say this: it's also given me being a fan of the Crimson Tide has given me some perspective as to how Patriots fans must feel, just because of how they can they've conducted their business over the last ten years under Nick Saban. But so when it comes to Tua Tagovailoa, what 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 jumps out to me? Is that when you what what I saw from him in college was this kid who within the construct of a football game, he can make a lot of quick reads. He he saw the field really well, and he made processing decisions quickly. One of the problems that I he was playing with, and I know this gets said about a lot of guys, but he was playing with three wide receivers who are all either are or are going to be first-round draft picks in the NFL. So when you look at it through that lens, these guys are what I like to refer to as mistake erasers. You know, I talk about the Kansas City Chiefs and how what makes their offense so dangerous is that they have, whereas most teams have one or two guys who if their quarterback makes a mistake or if they, the offensive line makes a mistake or they have such overwhelming skill talent that those two or three guys can change the play and kind of erase the fact that there was a mistake. Kansas City has five or six of those guys. And that's what it was like for Tua playing in Alabama. And I think that he got used to this security blanket that all that wide receiving talent and that offensive line talent provided him. So when he came to play for Miami, I think fans thought they were going to see a continuation of that. And in reality, what Tua is having to do is whatever the rookie does. They have to get used to the speed of the game. The fact that your skill position players aren't the best guys on the field anymore. And you're also playing behind an offensive line that is also young and learning on the fly. And I think that that, when, when you take a look at that, I mean, Josh Allen had one of the worst rookie seasons on record. People panned Josh Allen after that first year. And then he got incrementally better into 2019. And he found a little bit of his deep ball. He got better at completing short passes and his decision-making improved a little bit. And then in year three, you've seen him take this massive step forward now that he has the talent and he's got the know-how to execute using that talent. Tua, in my opinion, developmentally long-term, has kind of a leg up if he's ever going to catch or get to where Allen is today. He's already started off farther down that road because he had the mental processing. He had the ability to read the field. He doesn't have Josh's arm. That's the one freak trait that you can't teach. But... Everything else, he has the bones of a great quarterback. Now it's just him growing into it. And I think you can – I'd be confident to stake that Tua will find his – regardless of what fans out the, around the NFL say, because I know everyone is quick to call a quarterback washed or say that a pick was a bust. I think he's going to grow along the same lines as Josh Allen did. I mean, the, the, he's just going to have to find a coordinator whose style really fits him. And speaking of that um, – Brian Dayball has turned around Josh Allen and this offense. And I'm going to give kudos to Josh Allen. This offseason, he really worked on his throwing mechanics and using his hips properly and squaring his shoulders to be better on his accuracy. Now, Brian Dayball, I believe he's also he also came from Alabama. Correct me if I'm wrong, Drew. 
No, he, he was came from Alabama, yeah. right? He was the offensive coordinator at Alabama the season before um, the season before we drafted Josh, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. So he understands a, a lot about offensive philosophy. And he, Matt, I guess you could say he masked one of Josh Allen's weaknesses, which was um, playing on the fly and executed extra routes and concepts for when he's rolling out of the pocket. Because what I've seen throughout, you know, his three to four years is that he used to struggle a lot against zone coverage. And right now, Miami gets very crafty in its blitz packages with defense coordinator Josh Boyer and the personnel we have. Uh, right now, he, the left side of the offensive line for Buffalo, they're a little bit weak in pass protection. And Miami has had a tough time containing quarterbacks. Now, when Allen runs off to the right, he uses his legs properly. He's a big guy. He can stiff arm somebody. He can shake and bake to gain those extra two, three, four, five yards, whatever it is. And that's how he's used his physical tools to uplift this offense. Now, with Tua and the Dolphins, you could say, yeah, he needs a little bit more playing time, needs more experience. His gifts and tools are there. It's about getting the playmakers for him. And you speak about the offense coordinator. Um, we've, see, we've seen it all over Twitter. We've seen it among other podcasters and people up on ESPN as well. Is Chan Gailey calling different types of plays for Tua Tungabailoa and Ryan Fitzpatrick? Let me tell you this right now. It's a mix of both. And I'm going to... Uh, tie this back to one of our Finns Maniacs podcasters with Jason Sarney and former Dolphins quarterback Jay Fiedler. The full playbook is not available for both of these quarterbacks. If you look at the All-22 film, Fiedler breaks down the difference between Tua and Fitz. Now, obviously the calls are a little bit different. Tua and Fitz are two different types of quarterbacks. Fitz is a little bit more experienced, and unfortunately, you know, Tua is a rookie. The mistake for him is that he's not making those reads properly on the second and third level of the field. And we saw it in the Raiders game, and we saw it in the Broncos game as well. I want to say that he's actually played mistake-free football in terms of turnovers and, you know, throwing picks and fumbling the ball. He's only had, what, two interceptions on the season. And he was very good at taking care of the ball at Alabama, and he's shown it this season as well. Fitz, on the other hand, he's more of a gunslinger. He's experienced in the Chan Gailey playbook as well and knows, and knows who to give the ball to as well. As with time, Tua's going to learn. And I think the Dolphins should bring in a different offensive coordinator that can use those offensive concepts Tua's good at and instead it into the playbook. Uh, today, we heard the rumor that Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator at Alabama, would leave his Alabama job and take on the head coaching position at Texas. Now reports are coming out that he actually declined it, and we're all thrown in limbo. Maybe what if Steve Sarkeesian comes at Alabama and enhances Tua and his offense for 2021? Because that's what Brian Dayball did with Josh Allen. Well, and I will say this because this can be something of a misconception. One of the things, I mean, Brian Dable is doing his best work. And it's funny because 
I can tell you, I would, I would need both hands and all my toes to count the number of times I've cursed that guy out in the middle of a football game. <laughs> my friends hate me for it because they're always, in my opinion, Brian Dable hasn't done our team a whole lot of favors. Or at least that's how I felt last season and kind of, but I just didn't like his play calling. And I assumed that the failure to orchestrate a proper offense fell on his shoulders. And then this season came around. And at the beginning of the year, we were doing a phenomenal job in first and fourth quarters, but we were terrible. And we were one of the NFL's worst third quarter football teams. And again, I blamed our coordinator. Over the, since week 12, the team is now plus 86 in third quarters because now that Brian Dable's had half a season, you know, 10 weeks to really get a feel for the tools that he has at his disposal, he's orchestrating this offense that it's just timely plays, great route concepts working in tandem with each other to force guys open, making Josh Allen's life really easy. And then to your point with Josh's improved mechanics, he's out there putting on a show. So in that same way, I think a better offensive coordinator, more attuned to, to I mean, nothing, no disrespect to Chan Gailey, but he's 80-something years old, or at least he feels like it. <laughs> and I remember when he was the coach of the Buffalo Bills. So if that's the case, and he's this older guy who, maybe it's just not his time. You bring in a younger mind, someone kind of on the upswing of their careers, it could definitely have a similar effect on Tua's career and the Dolphins' offense as a whole. And for sure, I, I really feel that way. And the Bills are the real deal. I mean, they're scary. And both of these teams' rebuild is a little bit similar. Brandon, both defenses. I, I, I was gonna say, if I can if I can jump in here for a second because yeah you yeah go ahead that really interested me. So when you talked about the building of our teams being similar, when you look back at free agency when when Brandon Bean first got here in Buffalo, the thing that we prioritized because the New York Jets were trying to rebuild at the same time, and we both teams had a lot of money to spend, both teams had a lot of draft capital. So the, the Bills' approach was to spend all of the money they could on offensive line and defensive line. And we'll bring in some guys that are kind of under the radar fits at wide receiver, but we think they're talented and they're veteran guys, and we're going to overpay them a little bit, but we'll get some skill in here, but we're going to build up the trenches. And we're going to solidify, and we're going to spend our draft capital to the chagrin of your entire fan base on defensive talent. And everyone said, oh, great. So I guess we're, we're just never going to have a good offense. Well, as that process went on, what you saw was the Bills start to be able to run the ball. They pass protected better, which eventually promoted the passing game as a whole. And then all they had to do was add one player this offseason, Stephon Diggs, and an under-the-radar draft pick in Gabe Davis. And those two wide receivers took us from a middling passing offense to one of the most dynamic in the NFL because the book – the structure was already set for that to thrive in with a good offensive line and a coordinator who knew the skill sets. My, the Jets, on the other hand, opted to sign expensive linebackers, running backs, but they, they, they built from the outside in where the Bills built from the inside out, and you could see that that blew up in their faces. What I'm seeing from the Miami Dolphins is a similar approach to the one that the Bills took back in 2017 when they started to rebuild this team. They said, look, first of all, we have to have a good defense you got to have a good defense because good defense, if you're playing at a high, high level, can make up for some of the mistakes a weak offense will make, right? 
And then to your point about Tua Tagovailoa not turning the ball over, if you can play ball control, the Buffalo Bills made the playoffs in 2017 when everyone thought we were rebuilding. Why? Because we played strong defense and we didn't turn the ball over a ton. You guys are doing the same thing, and it looks like your team is being built the same way. So if you're a Dolphins fan, there's a lot there to be excited about. And, you know, I want to touch on your – I want to touch on Drew's point real, real quick. That had to have been very exciting because I was actually at the 2017 regular season finale, and I know you guys needed a win. And I think it was a Bengals – you got – the Bengals had to beat the Ravens. And all I can and all and all I can remember was walking out of the stadium after the game. A swarm of Bills fans were sitting by the uh, by the concession stand televisions, and everybody was watching. I mean, that that moment right there was that's something that you know we haven't felt that in a very long time. But it just shows how passionate that Bills fans are. You know, we can also talk about uh, uh, Bills Mafia, and you know how like how <laughs> I mean they. They may get a little rowdy, and they may get a little bit uh, annoying sometimes. But you know, at at the end of the day, I mean, you can definitely say they're probably one of the most passionate fan bases in the National Football League. If you wanted to look at, if you want to talk about NFL fan bases, the thing I like to tell people when they ask, they're like, "Oh, Bills fans, you guys seem like a crazy bunch." If you've ever seen the movie Christmas Vacation, we're cousin Eddie, right? We're a lot of fun. We're blessed to be around, but we're a total wild card. You never know how much we're going to drink or what's going to happen. <laughs> you never know what's going right. to go on. But, <laughs> you know, but you know you can rely on us to be there, and we follow our team anywhere. And we're just, so to your point, it is passion. And that game ended in the most important – that Bengals game that those fans were watching ended in one of the most uh, – just ridiculous plays. It, it was we needed the Bengals to beat the Ravens. It's fourth down and like eleven, and the Bengals are going for it. And Andy Dalton completes a forty-something yard pass to Taj Boyd for a touchdown. The red rifle. I remember and, that exact moment. And in and to thank him for it, Bills fans raised over a hundred and fifty thousand dollars for his personal charity. Because we were just so excited that he did this thing for us, which is, I mean, it, it, that's the other side of Bills fans that I think gets lost in a lot of the antics is that Bills fans here in Buffalo, I mean, it's called the city of good neighbors and that sounds kind of sticky, but really what it comes down to is this is a hard place to live. You know, it's, we're, we're, we're below the national average of median income. It's a rough place with the weather. Natural disasters occur on a regular basis here. We're constantly in a state of emergency. It's hard to get by here if you don't have your neighbors back and they don't have yours. And so you grow up with that mentality and that you grow up with a sense of charity. And you see that play out with the fans of this football team. Josh Allen. Josh Allen, the fan base after his grandmother passed away, and he still decided he wanted to go out and play a football game and ended up scoring, I think, four touchdowns that day. Right. And he could have sat out. The coaching staff gave it to him. We were so thrilled as a fan base that people started making $17 donations to our local children's hospital, which is his personal charity of choice. That blew up. They raised over, um, right, I think the, the most recent figure, it was over a million dollars. And now there's a, there's a wing in the children's hospital named after his grandmother because we funded it. We literally funded funded a wing of the hospital that's going to be named after his grandmother with a, with a plaque and a picture of Josh Allen. That's I mean, honestly that's unbelievable. 
I mean, that's unbelievable. And that is absolutely amazing. The, the mafia is real, guys. As much as Dolphins fans want to knock on it, that mafia is real. And I want to talk about Dolphins fans for a little bit too, as you know, last week we did a Zoom telethon uh, raising money for COVID-19 re- relief for local Miami restaurants in the area as well. Uh, thank you guys for also watching, um, interviewing with us. Thank you again with our special guests that were on as well and donating money. So the Miami Dolphins organization actually matched our total of $3,100. And adding that $3,100, we raised over $62,000, 6.2K to local Miami restaurants in our community. Dolphins fans, thank you so much for watching, tuning in, and donating to help our local community out. I want to say that with this passion, we can put this onto the football field. Brandon and I were not, you know, available to look at the 1990s rivalries between the Bills and the Dolphins with Jim Kelly versus Dan Marino. I know Jason, our producer, could speak about it, but we can't. Drew, you can speak about it, but could this be a reawakening of the Bills-Dolphins rivalry, kind of like in the 90s between Tua and Josh Allen? I'm happy you brought that up because it actually was the topic of our Dolphins Bills segment this week on our AFC East Roundup podcast. So we do two shows. We have our Rock Power Report podcast, which is strictly Bills talk, Bills-centric, game recaps, things of that nature. And then we do an AFC East Roundup show. And we have podcasters and writers from who cover every team in the division, and we talk about different divisional topics. And it's more of just, I, it was an itch I wanted to scratch. And it's been a lot of fun this year, but last week we talked about how this, with us destroying the Patriots the way that we did and the direction that that franchise seems to be trending, the way the Jets can't seem to get their stuff together, it seems like this is the, this is the renewal of this old-school rivalry. And I want to point out the difference between a rivalry and just having a hated opponent. We hated the New England Patriots, but you can't call that a rivalry because it was never tit for tat. There, there was no back and forth. And there was no real acrimony between those teams because half the time the Patriots forgot we existed. They were too busy focusing on the other winning teams in football. Between us and the Dolphins, I mean, I remember being a kid in school and them, you know, you face painting and everybody wore their squish the fish shirts. And it was real. It was a part of your childhood. This, this hey, the Dolphins are our like most hated opponent. The games were phenomenal. And I'll tell you this. The, there has to be some vitriol between the fan, between not fan bases so much, but between the teams that's real, that you can feel it for it to be considered a real rivalry. I will never forget Brian Cox. I was probably 12 or 13 years old. Brian Cox, he starts the game coming out of the tunnel, flipping off the fans. And I remember asking my father, what? Shouldn't he get arrested for that? Can't they throw him in jail? Like, come on. <laughs> and then they went to, and then I remember they won that game. It was like 21 to 10. And I remember being so angry in my room, punching my pillow. I hated Brian Cox with a white hot passion to the point where I rooted against the, against the Panthers for a couple of years because his kid was on the team. That's how much I hated that guy. That's a real rivalry. 
And I feel like the Bills and the Dolphins are on the cusp of maybe reigniting some of that. And, I mean, uh, God, we haven't seen anything like that in Brandon and I's years. Maybe just us beating Tom Brady down in down in Miami. I know Jason. Jason can speak to it. Jason, hop on. Hop on here and tell us a story. Come on. Well, I got a huge smile on my face because you mentioned Brian Cox, Drew, and I was 12 years old, and I walked around my living room imitating that, and I got grounded after the game because I was flipping the birds, candy birds to my parents. There you go. I was really, really, really happy when I was getting those flashbacks. Remember, I'm from New York. I'm not a Florida guy, Drew. So what you described, you described, you know, going to school and all the Buffalo kids, you know, really kind of – you lived the other side of that. You know, I was exactly. I mean, in fact, ironically, my like seventh grade math teacher was a huge Buffalo fan. She would give me, you know, uh, the business every time, you know, Jim Kelly would beat Dan Marino. But uh, yeah, the fact is, the Brian Cox game was one of my favorites. One of the worst, Drew, and you'll appreciate this. We spoke that I was a Buffalo student for four years up there. It was the 2002 game. I was supposed to go to the game. I decided that I. Couldn't get there in time. It was right after a Thanksgiving. So I drove back up to school, watched the game. Ricky Williams had those two touchdowns, if you guys remember. It was beautiful, beautiful out. And then run, the, Ricky, run. The second half came, and it was a blizzard. Ray Lucas came in, and it became the wheels, kind of fell off, and you guys won that game. Very much a disaster. Do you remember that one? <laughs> uh, I don't remember that one, but I'll, I'll, I'll okay. So for trading old horror stories, I remember a game where we were beating you guys. See, and this is what I mean about a rivalry. You can remember where you were and what you were doing when the other team beat you. That's a rivalry right there. 100%. I, was working at the, I was working at the dining hall at SUNY Oswego, and I'm helping vacuum up before I leave for the day, and they have the Bills games on because I work the lunch shift. And I'm looking, and I'm thinking to myself, we're beating you guys 21-3. to 3. This game, we're cruising. Jay Fiedler is having one of the worst days of his career. This is hilarious. I love it. And I was at that game. And then they, the, the, the stupidity on defense to knock Jay Fiedler out of the game. They bring in Sage Rosenfels, who leads them out of uh, just this mad dash 24-point third quarter, uh, fourth quarter. And with six seconds left, it was Chris Chambers in the back of the end zone. And I remember I took a whole thing of napkins and just threw it across the dining hall. <laughs> That's my boy Chris Chambers right there. So Suck it, Bills, man. Suck it, Drew, is when I wish, <laughs> I wish, I wish Jason brought on Fiedler. Had we knew Drew was telling this story. Oh. Imagine Jay's reaction on this as well. All right, we have to talk schematics and keys to the game. Drew, McDermott in his press conference withheld and said that he he might play the starters, he might not play the starters, but they're keeping it internally and he's being very smart about it now after knowing this entire situation you're like okay why would he obviously state state it i mean you're just giving the strategy away could we see the bill starters play two to three series or maybe mcdermott pull the starters after halftime i i this is <laughs> if, we're, if we're talking about what i think versus what i want as a season ticket holder who maybe has a chance, I miss. I just missed the cut to buy wild card tickets. Just missed the cut. Wow. So, oh, I man. To, so I have to hope that there is a second home playoff game so I can buy tickets to that. 
And in order to get there, you got to be the number two seed. So with that in mind, winning this game would do a lot for me personally, and it would take a lot of anxiety off my plate. And yet it seems like he's decided to be coy with his game plan, which again, to your point, makes sense. But you got to look at what's going on around the league. The Steelers already tipped their hand and said that they're going to start Mason Rudolph. Now, we get the number two seed by default that the Steelers lose that game. And the fact that they're starting a backup quarterback on a team that literally has no running ability whatsoever, and they're going to ask Mason Rudolph to single-handedly orchestrate that entire offense to a victory against a desperate Cleveland Browns team, I think that in and of itself has to weigh on Sean McDermott because he's thinking, I'm sure he's thinking to himself, the health of my football team is what really matters here. So if I can play my guys for a couple series and just watch the scoreboards around the stadium, and if I see Pittsburgh go down by two scores, I'm pulling everybody off the field, which is going to give me anxiety. But I think long-term it's the best for the football team. I do, I, I'll say this, I don't expect our starters to play the entire game. I think even a half would be a little ambitious. I think for me personally, I would like it if the Bills just forfeited the game entirely. <laughs> of course you would. Right. Of course. Of course. I want to get to the playoffs since 2016, man. Well, and I'll say this. Something that you'd sent me in your show notes that I find interesting. Now, you're talking about them sitting their starters. Well, one of the things that Micah Hyde, one of our starting free safety, he had a lot to say this week about how he is looking forward to playing a whole game. He wants to go out there and play against Tua Tagovailoa, and he wants to illustrate that they have the ability to make life hard for every quarterback in this division, not just <laughs> not just a couple, not just Cam Newton on Monday Night Football. They want to, they want everybody to take note that you have to bring your A game if you're playing them. And I think one of the things that I, that's going to be hard for you guys, I know all of the attention goes to our goes to our offense. And rightfully so. I mean, when you can score points on teams the way the Bills offense has been doing it, you get a lot of the eyeballs. But the I think one of the storylines that isn't getting enough run right now is the resurgence of the Bills' defense since the bye week. You take a look at it. Week 11, we go on our bye. Now, through the first half of the season, the first time we played you guys, we gave up 410 total yards, albeit with Ryan Fitzpatrick. We gave up almost 500 to the Rams, and we pretty much averaged about 400 yards per game. Over the last two games, no one has had more than, or the last three weeks, nobody's had more than 255 total yards on offense. And that's playing the Steelers, the Broncos, and the Patriots. And then you take a step back and you say, okay, the San Francisco 49ers on prime time, we gave up 402 total yards, but we only gave up 86 yards on the ground to a team that's primarily designed to run the football and play defense. Our front seven is playing the best football it's played all year. And I think if the starters on that side of the ball do play, it's going to make life really hard for you guys because they've been holding running backs of, I'd say some really dynamic running backs in the NFL in check handily over the last month and a half of football. You speak about running backs and, I know you guys have played some really, really good running backs. And I think an underrated running back in this league is Dolphins running back Miles Gaskin. The Dolphins are 6-0 with Miles Gaskin starting and running and catching the football out of the backfield. The thing with the Bills' defense is they're the fourth most 
and missing tackles in the NFL, especially in space with their linebackers and corners around the, the middle and around the hashes. They've missed over 123 tackles, which is less than the New York Jets, the Baltimore Ravens, and John Gruden's Raiders. Brandon, give me the three keys of the game for the Dolphins to beat the Raiders and get into the playoffs. Well, for the Dolphins to, you know, finish the season 11-5, and five, for the Dolphins to clinch a playoff spot, which it's not a win-and-you're-in scenario is the only way in, but if the if the Dolphins – there's three other scenarios that if it goes Miami's way that they'll be able to clinch a spot. But obviously we all would like the Dolphins to win. So the number one key, in my opinion, is limit Stefan Diggs. And in the first matchup, week two, when Buffalo walked out of Hard Rock Stadium with a 31-28 victory – did caught eight balls for 153 yards and had one touchdown to go along with it. If the Dolphins are able to limit Stefan Diggs, who's a great yards after catch receiver, and quite frankly, who's been one of the best free agent signings in Buffalo in a very long time. If the Dolphins are able to limit Stefan Diggs, and if the Dolphins are able to keep Josh Allen inside the uh, pocket, because he's one of those quarterbacks like we see with Lamar Jackson and like we see with, with Kyler Murray and sometimes Russell Wilson, when these quarterbacks are able to escape out of the pocket, they're able to escape explosive plays via his legs, or even as long as if he's behind the line of scrimmage, he's able to throw the uh, deep ball. So if the Dolphins are able to control the line of scrimmage, control Josh Allen, who passed for a career-high 415 yards in the first meeting, and don't forget, four touchdown scores, and if they're able to stop Stephon Diggs, I know it's easier said than done. I know the weather is not going to be Miami's favor, and I know – Everything is set towards Miami's way. But if the Dolphins are able to keep the ball out of Josh Allen's hands, limit any explosive plays, the Dolphins may be able to clinch their first playoff spot in four years. Now, can I, can I, give, you, can I give you one here that we talked about in our Rock Power Report podcast this week? And we yeah. were talking about what it might of take course. to beat you guys. Of course. There's, when you look at the numbers, and here's something you're going to have to – your defense is going to have to bring its A game, especially your linebackers, which I know is tough for you guys, losing Landon Roberts. I mean, although Andrew Van Ginkle's done a really nice job from the games I've watched, he seems, yeah. like, he, he, he seems like he's done a pretty good job out there. Oh, yeah, he has. He's, he's, he's Vince Beagle, who's out for the year and he's on IR, has really mentored AVG a lot, and he's come up – clutch in a lot of situations and you know we will also be down um Cam and Grugier Hill as well and it's going to be up to former Buffalo Bill Shaq Lawson uh, hopefully he plays to contain Josh Allen and when I when I when I mean contain I'm sorry go ahead Drew no I was going to say because here's the problem you guys are talking about playing against starters you know in a world where one of the things people keep saying is, oh, well, if they pull Josh Young from the game, then there's no chance this offense can function. Not really, no. And you're talking about this Miami defense kind of having some tackling issues. One of the things about our running backs, they only have 1,200 yards combined yardage, right? But of that, over almost 800 yards of that is after contact. They're not burners. They're, they're, there's no Daryl Henderson on this roster who's going to run stretch plays to the edge and just try to get to a spot before you and beat you upfield. You have Zach Moss who runs with power in between the tackles, and you have Singletary who just has such incredible contact balance 
that unless you can wrap him, which is hard because he's small and kind of shifty, they find ways to just generate five, six, seven yards after the first time somebody gets their hands on him. And that, even with a Matt Barkley at the helm of the offense, if you guys can't find a way to corral that with a depleted linebacker core, it could be a very long, long afternoon for the Miami Dolphins defense. And it is going to be up to the Dolphins' defensive run game. Um, they did get gashed a little bit by Josh Jacobs in the Las Vegas game. But however, other than that, they haven't allowed a running back to get over 100 yards. Albeit, you know, maybe Kyler Murray and over 100 yards of rushing offense. Yes. But I think with the way Brian Flores will come into this game and scheme it out where we have big boys and rookie defensive lineman, Raekwon Davis, he's been an absolute stud. Uh, undrafted free agent, Zach Steeler coming over from Baltimore. Then you have Christian Wilkins. I mean, this guy's energy is absolutely amazing. Then you have Emmanuel Ogba and Shaq Lawson. Their hands are going to be full on the defensive line of this, and they're going to have to win the trench battle against Buffalo's offensive line. And as I said, another key on the defense is going to be that Stefan Diggs matchup, unless he gets pulled earlier in the game or he just doesn't start, you know, to prevent any type of injury, which I'm sure Bills fans and the coaches do not want at all. One of the interesting things about this game, too, is that, I, Eric Rowe, like normally under normal circumstances, what I would say is, hey, don't worry, we have other players. We've got other guys that you have to be concerned about if it doesn't run through Stephon Diggs. When you look at what else is going to be out there, it's kind of an unknown for the Bills because they've been getting by without John Brown by leaning on Stephon Diggs and uh, uh, Cole Beasley. But if with Beasley already being ruled out, we signed Kenny Stills, but he can't even practice until next week. So he's not going to be in the game. John Brown, who knows what his availability, who knows if they have him on a pitch count since it'll be his first, I think his first game since week 10. <laughs> I don't know what this wide receiver core is going to look like. And so I'd like to say, hey, Dawson Knox, be careful. Dawson Knox is Jekyll and Hyde. I've watched Eric Rowe take away tight ends this year. And at the same time, big, fast, downfield guys that are athletic have given him some trouble. I mean, Darren Waller is a special talent, but we saw – Rowe have kind of an up-and-down game against Waller, against the Raiders. Knox, I, I like to make the joke that, like, you, you know Transformers, right? Transformers, they're robots. Uh, yeah. They turn, into, they turn into cool things like cars. Well, Dawson Knox is a Transformer, except when he transforms, his hands turn into frying pans, and everything just bounces off of them. That, <laughs> I think if, if you guys... And you know that's going to bode well, because we get a lot of interceptions, too. And that's going to be the scary thing for the Buffalo Bills, I think, in terms of matching up with you guys. You're, you guys are going to have an incredibly opportunistic secondary playing against a depleted wide receiving core. Yes, I think our passing game can still make hay for as long as Josh Allen is in. And I think our rushing attack can do enough if Josh Allen comes out to keep things interesting. As long as your secondary brings its lunchbox, I think that you guys can take away most of the targets we have if there's no if there's no Stephon Diggs on the field, it becomes incredibly simple for you guys to take away what we do have. And hopefully, you know, that happens. On the flip side, where we go to Miami's offense, uh, Brandon, Chan Gailey is going to have to let to a cook, but also not show his hand. If, albeit, we do win and we see Buffalo possibly in the wild card 
or maybe in the divisional round. A pop, if let's say hypothetically the Dolphins win tomorrow, right? The dream wild card matchup that I would love to see, and I'm sure probably 99.9% of Dolphins, Dolphins fans would agree with me. How about playing the Tennessee Titans on wild card weekend against former quarterback Ryan Tannehill, running back Derrick Henry, and wide receiver A.J. Brown? That would be an unbelievable matchup because, remember, Ryan Tannehill was basically traded out of Miami, probably didn't like the way he was, he was treated, and probably didn't like the different schematic system that he was under head coach Adam Dace. But I can tell you right now, and you can even, if you want to really talk, even before Adam Dace, Dan, Dan Campbell when he was an interim head coach, and Joe Philbin. But that would honestly be a dream matchup for me. I would love to also see Buffalo against the uh, Dolphins. No matter what, if the Dolphins do come to playoffs, no matter where they go, it's going to be a tough matchup. And my second point, the weather is probably not going to favor the Dolphins either. Because I think the last time, because remember the last time that the Dolphins were in this spot, the wild card game was against Pittsburgh, and that was a that was a red hot Steelers team. You know, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. I mean, they 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 basically wiped away any chances of us securing an upset victory in the in the first couple minutes of the of the of the opening quarter. So, Miami and not to mention the quarterback was Matt Moore. Right. Well, it's funny. It's funny you guys say that because we were talking about this week on our AFC's Roundup podcast. We were talking about the last time we'd saw we'd seen Miami in the playoffs, and I remember I threw a party that day. I was like, "Okay, wild, you know, football. Hey, we're gonna have people over," and I said I would go pick up the pizza. The pizza ran late. I had to stand there for like an extra 20 minutes waiting for them to. I think they burned my pizza. Is what it was, and I had to stand there and wait for them to come up with a new one. I get back and I miss maybe the opening 10 minutes of the football game. And I looked at the scoreboard and I was like, what the hell happened here? I thought this was a playoff game. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it, it the just were just simply unmatched. This yeah. is what happens when you have Adam Gase as your head coach. Sorry, I had to well, put that dig no, out there. No, when you said, when you, when you said something about how uh, Tannehill wasn't quite thrilled with the way things went under Adam Gase, I was going to ask. Is anybody thrilled? Does anybody actually enjoy the way things go under Adam Gates? I'm actually really thrilled right now because the Dolphins have the number three pick, the Jets have the number two pick, and they lost on the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. So, honestly, we're thrilled that Adam Gates is in New York, absolutely fumbling the Jets right now and grounding them, and that's that. Let's hope maybe they don't fire him for another season or two, and the Jets are absolutely awful. I'm just going to say it out there. So, you were talking real quick – so before we wrap this, you were talking about the things on the offensive side of the ball and keys of the game. You talked a little bit about how you guys do a good job with zone defense and how you guys have some tricks up your sleeve. The Buffalo Bills have spent three years under Sean McDermott making it their bread and butter is this zone system that essentially you with our athletic, with how hyper-athletic our safeties are and how well they play the football in the air and just how well they cover, they get away with a lot. And one of the, when I say that, what I mean is when you watch some of the best quarterbacks in football struggle to throw the ball against the Buffalo Bills, you go back and you watch the All-22. And what you see is that from pre-snap look to snap and then what the play actually is, they do an incredible job of disguising their coverages because their safeties are so athletic, they can actually drop down to the linebacker spots which allow, and then still get deep to cover the deep quarters of the field. 
So what that allows us to do and is- And that's the issue with Tua as well. Yes. And so what happens here is that you see our linebackers do a lot of, uh, what they'll do is they'll fake in the A and B gaps and they'll come right up to the line of scrimmage. And now your quarterback has to make a decision. He says, okay, well, I see a safety in the linebacker spot and they're playing single high and I see two linebackers. So one of them could come on a blitz and then he snaps the ball. And all of a sudden the linebackers are back to where they should be in coverage. And that safety is already playing the deep, either Tampa two or in a deep quarter. And now the quarterback on the fly has to pray that there's somebody open and he has to change where his reads were going to go. They've used this over the last three years to, to make life hard on pretty much every quarterback in football. It's rare that you see them get dissected by anyone. And that's something that Tua has really struggled with. So I think the key on offense for you guys is to craft a game plan that allows him a lot of quick outs, a lot of quick hitters, things that, He's not going to necessarily have to wait for a play to develop because if he has to sit there in the pocket and try to diagnose a defense at the second and third level, it's just not going to be there for him. Quarterbacks much better than Tua or much more experienced than Tua at this point have tried and failed. I think that your offense is going to have to create a lot of quick passes. They're going to have to utilize those multiple tight end sets to get guys that can be open quickly in case the picture of what the defense is does change significantly from snap to throw and he can get rid of the ball and still find positive yardage. And you actually read my mind and took the words right out of my mouth. Tua and Chan and Flores and the entire offense, they're going to have to change the tempo or mix up the up-tempo, no huddle, or even running down the clock to mess with the entire Bills defense. They're going to have to be in 12 personnel most of the time, either two tight ends and a single back look or empty set. You can throw them up by calling it an audible, by bringing the tight ends in, by bringing the tight ends in to create a heavy look or take them out with the running backs flexed out in the slot and just have throw uh, and just throw these quick slants out and a little bit of crossers uh, to gain that yardage as well. Before we wrap this up, Drew, give me a score prediction. If I had to predict a score, and it, it, this is just, it, it's, it's me. The way I handle things in life is I just try to make my peace with the worst possible scenario. And then that way, when it doesn't happen, I'm pleasantly surprised. I think that, I mean, we have a kicker who has proven that he can hit it outdoors, in the elements. He can hit consistently from 50-plus. And I think we're going to have to rely on We got on a kicker, too. I know. And so the Bills are going to have to rely on a lot of that for their offense, especially if Josh Allen and those guys come out early. I mean, if the Cleveland Browns – here's what every Dolphins fan should be hoping for, that the Cleveland Browns come out like gangbusters and take care of their business early against Pittsburgh. Because if they can do that, then the Buffalo – Sean McDermott, the second he sees them take a two-score lead, I'm sure Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Everett, they're all coming right off the field. <laughs> so everybody in Miami is a Cleveland Browns fan tomorrow. As crazy and ludicrous as that sounds, I foresee this being a low-scoring game just by nature of our defense and your offense. I think the Dolphins win because there's more on the line for you guys. You guys need this one more than we do. I think you guys find a way to win it. If I wanted to give it to you by six, I'll call it. So I figure the Bills probably won't score more than 13. So I'll say you guys win 20 to 20 to 13. Brandon. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I 100% agree with Drew. 
the Dolphins have much more to play tomorrow than uh, than Buffalo does. And if 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 Cleveland jumps off to a quick fourteen nothing, even twenty one nothing, even if they jump off to a quick three touchdown lead, expect to see a lot of Matt Barkley and very few Josh Allen. Um, the weather is definitely you know Buffalo's favorite. That's an obvious, but I still think it's probably going to be a low scoring ball game as well. I'm going to go Miami twenty four, Buffalo seventeen. Here's what I'm going to say. And everybody's going to hate me for it, okay? The Dolphins, okay, they will hold Buffalo to 20 or less points. However, last season in 2019, the Dolphins had nothing to play for at all. And that made them a little bit dangerous against the New England Patriots. December 30th, 2019, Fitzmagic drives down the field and throws into the seam to Mike Jacecki, destroying the Patriots' hopes of getting home field advantage and thus allowing the Chiefs to get into the championship game, win the championship, and win a Super Bowl in Miami. I think Sean McDermott is going to play spoiler and make sure the Dolphins are not in the playoffs. So just in case he doesn't see them, because they could be a little bit dangerous in the playoffs. It's uncertain. We don't know how they're going to be. And I think he will limit the Dolphins' offense to only 10 points. And I think the Buffalo Bills will score 17. I'm calling it 17-10 Buffalo. No, I'll tell you what. I, I like that score prediction. I really like that score prediction. I know you do. Your, your listeners might be mad at you, but I'll take it. <laughs> I know you are, Jason. And Finn Maniacs, forgive me for this. I just, as a Dolphins fan, I imagine the worst possible thing happening. And if it doesn't, that's great. I would rather be wrong. I would rather be wrong. That's what I'm saying. When you, and it's to the to the displeasure of my wife. And my friends who call me a pessimist. and <laughs> What I will say is I'm never unprepared for bad situations because I try to prepare myself mentally for the worst possible scenario. But I'll tell you what, I think you can ease up a little bit there. I think you guys are going to be okay. And I, for one, hope you are because I would love nothing more than to see you guys. You guys are my team of choice in the first round of the, <laughs> the, first round of the playoffs. So... Take that for what it's worth. I hope you guys win tomorrow. Bills Mafia, Dolphins fans, and Finn Maniacs listener. Drew, thank you so much, you so much. for being part of this show. Go check him out at Rock Bio Report. And Brandon, thank you for being a great host. Anytime, buddy. And as always, guys, fins up. <laughs>